The High Regard Show. It's... We're just like the angry, heavy podcast. <laughs> the it's angry, not even funny at this podcast. anymore. I feel it boiling inside of me. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. This week, we got a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. I mean, holy cow. We span the globe this week almost. We kind of do, Tom. We do. Well, you know, that's what we do around here. We try to open up people's horizons. You've heard about our city living and our hillbilly lives. But now, <laughs> let's go and expand a little bit. Let's expand. Let's let's see what the world has to offer. Yeah, let's Shall do that. we? So, um, let's start off by letting the people know that we are going to be introducing yet another new segment. New segment time! That's two in two weeks. Two in two weeks. Two for two. It's a lot. Oh, wait, no. Oh, two for two? Yeah, two for two. Well, yeah, I'm two for two now. Last week could have been one for one. This week's two for two. I got it. If we finish the second one. It seems like at the rate we're going, we might not get anything done. Yeah, we might not. We might just keep going off off the rails. So, Nikki... Why don't you explain Herd for us? Well, Herd is a new segment that we're introducing that is going to talk about some of the crazy-ass shit that we overhear while we're out and about in New York City. All right. Yeah, Herd! This week's herd comes from the downtown D express train, and it is as follows. He should be arrested for being an asshole for losing a kid. Okay, who said this? This gentleman sitting next to me on a train that was stopped at 125th Street because there was a missing child at 7th Avenue, which was like four stops away. How old was this guy? This guy was probably like in his mid thirties, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, he's he's point he is past the point of really caring what people think. Yeah, and like he him. just and like nobody was talking to him, and he just kept going on, going like, "What an asshole! What an asshole! Like, how do you lose a kid? How do you, like not like you know?" I was pissed that like my train was probably going to be delayed, and I might be late for work because like I you know nobody wants to be late for work. Of course. So and he's like, "Now everybody's going to be late because of this asshole," and blah 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 blah, and it's just like, did someone really lose a kid? Is that why the we train don't was know? Off? And then we never heard of it again. They were just like, there's a missing child at 7th Avenue. We're being delayed on the station. And then, like, that was it. And then, like, nobody said anything else about the kid. So I don't know if the kid was, like, located or not. But, like, the first thought that this guy had wasn't, like, oh, my God, there's a missing kid. Like, my second thought was, fuck, I'm going to be late for work. But, like, my first thought was, oh, man, I can't believe somebody missed their like is missing a kid. Like, that's terrible. And then, like, immediately it's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, it takes a minute for it to kick in. Then you realize, like, that guy kind of was an asshole for losing his kid in the first place. <laughs> yeah, but it's got to be a scary true. thing to lose your kid. But how does it happen? <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it was whatever. But, like, he kept going on. And, like, as we sat there, I think we were in the station for maybe, like, seven minutes tops. Which, I mean, is a lifetime when you're trying to get somewhere from, you know, the northern part of the city. But he just kept going on about it. And it was just like, all right, dude, we get it. You're pissed off. Like, shut up. And then as soon as I heard this, I'm like, yeah, you're going in herd. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. So that was the first you heard. You heard. And, you know, it's people like that that just, like, you understand why so many people want to, like, get away. They don't want to just, like, get away from all the people that they live near. Like, and you don't even have to live in a city, you know. It could just be, like, any town USA and just just be alone. Get off the grid. You know, you understand why people do that sometimes when you deal with people like that. But where would you go? I personally... Yeah. I'd go to a beach, man. I'd go to Tahiti, and I'd never come back. You keep saying that, but having never been to Tahiti, I'm not sure you would actually go there. I'd like to go to one of the pictures that I see of <laughs> Tahiti. <laughs> like the hut that's in the water. Like That's where I would go, and I would just have my book and my journal, and you, I'd let you come. Yeah, until and you, you find the, a little Frenchie the and then you're like going, oh, sorry, there's not enough room for all of us to go. It's going to just be the two of us this trip. That wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. It's fine. I don't want to go to Tahiti anyway. I feel like there's going to be a big wave that's going to hit it and just wipe Probably. everybody out. So Where would you go? Um, I feel like I would just stay in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And watch TV. Like, I'm pretty cool with that. I don't think I need <laughs> much more. Um, You know, as long as Seamless is still running, everything's cool with me, man. Well, you would choose to sit in the rugged confines of our apartment, and I would like to dip my toes into the <laughs> the Tahitian Sea. Is that a thing? Is it called a Tahitian sea. sea? I don't think so. I think it's like the Pacific Ocean. Or so something. you made that up as well. I made that up, yeah. I feel like you're just crazily making things up. That's okay. Maybe we need a... A, what is it? A factual-based story. Well, Tom. Yes. I just might have something like that. Why don't we get into that? Let's get into that. <laughs> that sounds we? like a good idea. Well, I got a press release from our friend Brian. Well, Brian Gross. Yes, Brian Gross. Ah, we and love Brian Gross. We, He's the guy who got us to the AVNs. He did. Yes, he did get us to the AVNs. And he had sent me a press release about this book of someone that he's representing, mm-hmm. and it was called Journey of Heart. Okay. And it's by a woman named Sequoia Schmidt. Yes. And she actually wrote this book called Journey of Heart uh-huh. about her experience going to the K2 in Pakistan. Why would she go to the K2 in Pakistan? Well, um, in 2013, Mm -hmm. um, and this book is based on her experience that she took over the summer in 2015. um, In 2013, her brother, Denali, and her father, Marty, got killed in an avalanche on the K2 because they had been, you know, climbing to reach the summit. Okay. And she had been watching this, um, you know, she saw this video come up on YouTube of a climber that I guess was coming down or, you know, was on the mountain. Of, he was on K2 and he took a video of remains that he found and it was horrific. And she thought that she recognized, you know, the 
the head, and it was just a head. Like, she thought she recognized her brother. Like Wait a it, minute. Hold on a second. Yeah. I want to stop you. And yes. I know this is horrible. This sounds like an yeah, awful, it's, awful yes. tragedy. But they just found a head? Yeah, it was just, like, it was where just was, a head. Where does the rest of the body go? It probably just got swept away, and, you know, it hadn't turned up yet. But, like, there were some body parts that were found where this guy, you know, was camping, I guess. And... The, and she saw, she just happened to see it on a video that he posted and thought, oh my God, that's my brother. I need to get there. So she went through all the rigmarole of getting like an ASAP, like a, a visa ASAP. And she took off to Pakistan. She was from Houston. Mm-hmm. And she, within like a week or so, she was like on this trek to go up the K2. And this book is based on her experience. And it was absolutely like i got a um a working copy of the book so i didn't get to see the finished product but what i read was absolutely breathtaking like it was just so interesting to me because she kind of had a relationship with her father that was kind of similar to what i have with my biological father so it's kind of like estranged and they had been you know they were on the mend at like you know around the time of her father's death so she has all these emotions that are going on and it really comes through in the book And, you know, the way that she describes the mountain itself and like her journey was just, it is, it was so just, I I keep going back to the word breathtaking, probably because I'm also imagining how out of breath I would be hiking up this thing because like, this is never something that like I would ever do. Like, I can't even walk up subway steps without being like winded. I was going to say, this is probably a little bigger than the Great Hill in Central Park, which is what you you also have a pretty hard time with. I'm not going to lie. I do. I avoid it at all costs. All right. We always go into the park at 81st Street so that I can avoid it. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> So basically, we recorded this woman without her knowing, right? No, Tom. We're not the NSA. Uh, All right, all right. I forget our role sometimes in the new media. (laughs) But we did record her with with her knowledge. Yes. And um, I think that maybe in an effort to give the viewers a better idea of how the interview went, we'll just use her words. Sure, yeah. And so, like, why don't you give us an idea of some of the questions that you asked her, and then uh, we'll see what she has to well, say. The first thing I wanted to know was, I mean, she was going on this, like, you know, truly amazing journey, regardless of what the outcome might be. This was an incredible journey. So I had to know, was she planning on doing a book the whole time? A roll tape, please. No, gosh, no. That's so good of you to say. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm kind of nervous, actually, about the world kind of reading my inner thoughts. But, no, I did no, not at all. I'm, I'm a publisher. I own a publishing firm. So I read other people's thoughts every day. <laughs> and, um, so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. It was, I wanted to, I've taken quite a few trips. I'm quite, you know, well-traveled. And, um, one of my favorite things in the world is to look back on my trips and to read through little diaries or notebooks that I've written down because I, I tend to, you know, run along with my normal hospital of my life and forget about little aspects of the journey that when I read back on later, it, you know, it fills my mind with, like, being in the moment again. So what happened was I was just keeping a diary to kind of keep track of it, and I was... It was a really emotional journey, and I was so overwhelmed with everything that I kind of needed just to get my emotions out in general. And the landscape and the people and everything about where I was at the moments that I was in was very inspirational. It was I was just inspired to write when I was there. 
So it was literally like, like you'll see there's a, a picture in the, the finished copy of the book. There's a picture of me like in the middle of a dust storm with the <laughs> scarf wrapped around my head and my iPad and me underneath the scarf. Like literally every moment I was just super inspired to write. So we would do these like nine hour tracks and at the end of the day I would run into the tent and sit there and tie on my little iPad. So one of the other things that I found out, you know, through reading um, the working copy of the book mm-hmm. was that, you know, her father was a renowned outdoorsman. I mean, he traveled the world, people, you know, he led people up mountains and things like that. And there were all these pictures um, of Sequoia and her brother Denali, like as little kids, you know, like they'd be at like some state park, like on top of a mountain or something like that. So, you know, had she been at some point in her life on a climb like this? I mean, because she did, she very was was very upfront of the fact that she was out of shape. She was a smoker, which is like a huge no-no for climbing a mountain. I mean, like you have to, you know, the altitude is deadly. Yeah. So, you know, had she been on a climb like this before? And let's see what she had to say. Oh, God, No. <laughs> No, and that's so funny because I was like, I, I think I mentioned this. I like, you know, the the last two years of my life has consisted of like, you know, eating really bad. Like I said, I'm not a person. Like, you know, my hours are crazy. So, um, you know, my eating habits are terrible. I was smoking a lot because I was under so much stress, grief, and everything like that. So smoking a lot of cigarettes. I wasn't running. I'm usually a runner. I wasn't running. I didn't run for like two years straight. <laughs> Out of any moment in my life that that track could have happened, that was the worst possible moment. <laughs> <laughs> so no. So like, I mean, obviously we've we've done a lot of like camping and trekking. And I did Whitney when I was eight, I think, or nine. I think I like just turned nine when I did Whitney. I was like one of the youngest people to do it, or something like that. But. But no, since since leaving home and moving to the States and starting my company, I haven't done anything physical. So she's home from the journey. Has she changed her unhealthy smoking ways? I don't think I would. I think I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you. I just climbed a mountain. (laughs) Before we play this part, let me just think of what my answer. My answer would be like, I feel like I've earned this. Exactly. Like that's like we're very big on rewarding ourselves for like deeds done well. You know, we lose a couple pounds. We're like, let's have a burger. Let's go to our good burger place. (laughs) See, you're a lightweight. We lose a couple of pounds, and I'm like going, man, I gonna. Who wants to make a pound of like macaroni and cheese tonight? Oh my god. So all right, let's hear what somebody who's actually in shape has to say about like climbing the K2 and keeping healthy lifestyles. I run every morning now. I run about six miles in the morning and push-ups, pull-ups, all that fun stuff and trying to get some good some good lungs back. Up <laughs> so one of the things that Sequoia writes about in the book is this moment where she realizes that it's not just, you know, us outsiders who look at areas where, you know, the Taliban and these terrorist sects are, you know, where, where they run rampant. You know, a lot of their own countrymen and women and children are just as frightened of them as we are. So let's hear what she has to say about that moment when she realized realizes that. All right. Let's check it out. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. So that moment didn't come to me until a little bit later. Um, I went I went into it, and I'm sure you gathered this from the book, but like the the one thing I didn't say in the book, because I didn't want to make it too political, but um, mm-hmm. when I first called the United States Embassy, the uh, 
the first thing they told me is the U.S. Embassy in Pakistan and Islamabad, um, they sent me some paperwork and they said, look, you are entering some of the most dangerous territory and as soon as you leave Islamabad, we cannot save you. Uh-huh. And I called the New Zealand Embassy because I'm a New Zealand citizen and they said uh-huh. the exact same thing. They were like, if anything happens to you at all, we cannot come and help you. You are in the most dangerous territory. The moment, the moment that that, that aha moment that you're talking about came was actually during the protest. There was a, a peaceful protest going on in the middle of Scardu before we head out on the track. And it, that was, you know, there was this huge sign that this, like, 14, 15-year-old boy was holding that mm-hmm. says, Taliban has no religion. And I sat there and I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, what do you mean, Taliban? Taliban are Muslims. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And then I sat there and I thought about it for a minute. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. No, they're not. They're not. Because any anyone who associates themselves with any type of religion um, would not would not believe in these types of terrorists. Right. In general, I don't I don't care if you're Muslim or you're Christian mm-hmm. or whatever religion you may be, you would not believe in an act like this. You would not commit an act like this. And there are millions of people that surrounded me in Pakistan who were some of the most gracious and heartwarming people I have ever met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. These quarters and these people who were there for me every day who invited me into their homes to meet their families after our right. trek. I sat with them on the floor at their tiny little one-room house where they slept right. on mats. Their entire family of six who were Muslim, who got up and prayed every day. And my mm-hmm. perception, my misperception of a religion before I went, before I knew anything about them, was based on, you know, a singular drop of dirty water in the ocean from what I'd seen from a misperception of media in the United States. And that was it. So, you know, it was a huge wake-up for me. It was a huge, a huge eye-opener for me. You know, it's weird to me, like, hearing that, because going by what we see in the news and media every day, it's always like these people, like, with rifles in the air, burning flags, riding in, like, tanks and armored cars and stuff like that, and... But then you see those pictures of refugees and people that are trying to leave, and it's... Like, it's frightening. Yeah, and it's weird because the refugee pictures, there always seems to be a lot more people running than there are making the ruckus. Yeah, like these, like, I think when, when if you strip down these, these sects, you're going to see that there's a lot less people, but they're all over. So, like, that's yeah. what makes them dangerous because and they're, the they're everywhere. Yes. So, I, I can see that. Like, it takes one bad apple. It really does to ruin the whole barrel. That's it. So what else did you ask her? <laughs> so there's this point where her um, her guide ghoul says, in the mountains, you find out who you really are. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know if that's true. Because, you know, when we went to Ireland, I felt like my whole life changed. I felt like my whole mentality changed. And even though, like, it's been a while and, like, I'm still back to, like, my stressed, anxious Nikki, there's still a part of me that's, like... You know, like, has a place to reflect that, to. Yes, like a happy place. Like you have a real life happy place. Yes, I do. You know, and and I wondered if that was true for Sequoia. So this is what she has to say. All right. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. 
Okay. Definitely. There's there's a very, very powerful aspect that I mean when you when you ask most people who have actually taken their their path in life towards the mountains and they've mm-hmm. actually um, gone to the mountains to experience it. When you look at their, their lives, they continue to go back, and there's a reason mm-hmm. for that. There's a reason that the mountain will draw you back and the mountains in general will mm-hmm. draw you back because there's a sense of of inner understanding when you're stripped to the essentials of life, when you're stripped down to food, water, a tent, and some of the most beautiful landscapes in the world mm-hmm. around some of the most powerful nature in the world. And without the additional essentials that surround you, the things that we consider essentials here in life draft you to entertain your mind, you're required to really be by yourself. And being by yourself allows you to understand yourself. So I, you know, I feel like for me, I had a greater understanding of who I was, what I was doing, what I wanted. And most of all, of my relationships, my relationships Mm -hmm. I couldn't mend. And that's one thing about the trek, I think, that I took back over everything that happened to me during that month that I was away. I think the greatest thing that I took out of that trek was an understanding of my father in a way I never understood before. And it took me looking at things from his perspective, being in his shoes, being in front of the mountain that he was so in love with, to Mm -hmm. really understand him in that way. So, you know, obviously Sequoia's journey was about possibly recovering her brother's body and her father's body from the avalanche that they perished in in 2013. I'm not going to give anything away. You'll have to read Journey of Heart. But there was a moment where she reached, you know, the base camp, and there was a plaque that guides, like Ghoul, and other people who knew her father and, you know, eventually got to know her brother, where they put up a memorial plaque for him. And, you know, it's one of many because, you know, this is a very dangerous mountain to climb. You know, it's it's very, very dangerous. So I wanted to know a little bit more about what that moment was like for her when she reached this plaque, which is basically a gravestone because, you know, we've lost loved ones and we can go visit them in a cemetery and, you know, pay our respects to them. She has to climb a damn mountain to pay respects to them. So, you know, what is that moment like when she actually reached what is the equivalent of their gravestone? It wasn't, to me, it was, it was numbing more than anything. Because for two years of my life, I didn't have a grave site or, sure. you know, or anything to really go to in that right. You know, most most people walk outside and drive down the street and go to the grave of their sure. or brother. <laughs> Me, it takes a sixteen day trip. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so it was yeah, it was very, it was very, it was a very, I think, sentimental moment and 
we there was there was multiple there was multiple memorial stones actually you know there were there were I think three different memorial stones that other people had bought it brought in but the okay. the main one was still my favorite and will always be my favorite is the one that um, a group of porters and other climbers took a tin can from the kitchen mm-hmm. and just chiseled their name into the tin can. Looks like it, like a tin plate, like a tray. Yeah, yeah. Chiseled their name into it, and to me, that was the greatest one. <laughs> that is so my brother and dad. That's like it's so simple. It's <laughs> not all these additional essentials of like right. a beautiful stone plaque with your name printed on it. Right. No, they just need a nice tin plate with some chiseling and man. Don't be just. This whole story makes me feel so lazy because my aspiration is to die while watching adults swim. I was just going like, to say, seriously. like, you're going to, like, suffocate on your pillow, like, or something. Like, you're going to no. swallow your pillow on the couch. I wish that was the case. I'll probably choke on a, like, buttered peanut while watching Mike Tyson <laughs> Mysteries. That is definitely a more appropriate death for me. Yes. I wonder, like, I would probably fall. Like, I would fall downstairs and, like, break my neck. Like, that would be, Ugh. that would be my... Yeah, in the movies it always happens really quick where people just trip and they hit the third step and you hear a crack and then they're dead. And no, they I wouldn't. I would but... be all mangled. I'd be all like bent every which way and like I feel like you live like that. Nah, I'd feel like you'd be laying in the hallway until you bled out. Like people would just <laughs> oh be God, walking would... past you looking oh at you God, like, that's oh. That's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> this guy climbed the K2 and you're worried about making it down the three flights of steps to, <laughs> to safety. But, well, we all got our all obstacles, I guess. Sure. <laughs> so one of the other things that I wanted to know, um, you know, was what the reaction was to, you know, like was whether or not she showed the book to some of the other people who lost loved ones in the avalanche that killed her father and brother. Um, so here's, you know, what what they had to say about the book. Well, I don't know, because it's not out yet. Um, okay. <laughs> True. Okay. <laughs> um, but I sent, I sent a few of the families a copy of the book. Um, mm-hmm. Gurr McDonald actually wrote the afterword, which we'll see mm-hmm. in the printed book. So Gurr McDonald, I'm not sorry, not Gurr McDonald, Gurr McDonald's um, brother-in-law um, wrote the afterword in the book. So he was one of the, it, it, and the reason I asked him to do it is because, um, I call them in the book. I call him and his wife, Denise, mm-hmm. his first sister. Um, so it talks about that in the book of the first conversation I had was with them. And so he wrote the afterword for the book. And so he got a galley copy, really, before anything else, or a working mm-hmm. title. And um, and he wrote me a, a very nice email back and said, you know, we're, you know, we've always supported this journey, and we're more than happy to support the book. And he's a published author as well, so okay. um, he said, if you'd like me to write anything, I said, oh, yes, that would be wonderful. <laughs> we love you to write something, because then people don't think I'm just making all of this up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it, it's, you know, they're, they're a wonderful family, and all of the families I spoke with are absolutely incredible. The whole catalyst that sent Sequoia on this journey to possibly recover the remains of her father and brother was this video that was put up by a climber named Mike Horn. And it was a very ungracious photo, um, and it caused a firestorm among, you know, 
the survivors of family members who passed and just climb enthusiasts and things like that. Like it caused a firestorm because apparently there's like a code of ethics. Wait, wait, what was the picture of? Well, it was of remains that he had found on his climb of the K2. And he took like just a video of a head. Like that was it. It was just a head. Where'd the rest of the body go? They don't know. Like they don't, and like they don't even know at the at the point of this. You know, when she went on this journey, they didn't even know if you know the other body parts that they that this guy found if they were all related to each other or like you know if it was the head oh like a God. leg. So it was just like it was gruesome. Like this video that this guy Mike Horn put up, and you know it was the video that like caused her to do this turnaround and get this visa and go to Pakistan immediately because when she was watching this video. It was almost as if, like, it was as if her brother was, like, looking at her because the remains of the head that they found looked like her brother. And that's what made her go on this journey. So, I want I asked her if, you know, she had ever been in contact with Mike Horn because some, like, a bunch of people contacted him and said, like, take this video down. That's disgusting because apparently there's a code of ethics when you're a climber and you come across remains. like Which is some, what? What do you do? You're supposed to just... You're not supposed to just take pictures. I mean, you can, I guess, take pictures of them and like, but not like post to the internet in hopes of getting like a million hits of this gruesome body that was found. Like, well, no, that's just gross. But can can it be counted as like a helpful thing? Like, if someone takes pictures to be like, at first, I saw this. Yes, but... yes. I mean, like at first, you know, you're you're gonna have this like gut reaction, like that's just gonna be to recoil and get angry because like if that's your loved one, like you don't want them seen, true, like portrayed in a bad way because like. You, you're you never going to be, like, a lot of these people aren't going to be able to recover the body, you know? So the fact that, you know, and Sequoia even says in the book that, like, you know, when she saw this, this was just two years after her father and brother were, were killed. She says, right in the book, that, like, this was a call I wasn't expecting to get for, like, 20 years. Because that's just the way, like, you know, they were swept away in an avalanche. Like, it it's going to take eons for like snow to melt for it to get to a place where a hiker might be and things like that so you know i wanted to know if she ever got in contact with this mike horn and if she did what did she what would she say to him if she if she could all right let's take a listen i had never been in contact with him directly no and i you know i wrote him a couple of responses um Mm-hmm. And actually, the book ends. You you saw the working copy, so I don't think you got to see this part. But um, the book ends with me thanking him. Yeah. So the the final part of the book is thanking Mike Horn for. I think it's something like. Hold on, I don't want to misquote. Let me find it. Let's see. Uh, final finally, a thank you to Mike Horn, without whom this journey would have never taken place. So now that she's back, she's taken this journey, this incredible journey to, you know, to the K2. Does she plan on ever going back there again? Let's Does see. she? Let's see. All right. Um, I, I don't know where life's going to take me. I have no <laughs> idea. You know, that's one thing I learned about this situation. And obviously a big thing I learned with Dad and Molly, that, you know, you never, you never know where the path or your path in particular is going to lead you. I know for me, I definitely feel a calling to go back to the mountains in general, not specifically a mountain, but the mountains in general. And finally, you know, going back to the fact that before she went on this journey, Sequoia was just 
you know, she wasn't in peak performance shape, you know, she was this smoker and everything, you know. So what I wanted to know what she thought her brother and father would think of her taking a journey to doing something that they truly loved. You know, what would they think about her doing that? All right. Roll tape. I gotta say, she was very, very good sport about the whole situation. I feel like if somebody was asking questions about, you know, any anybody's yeah. passed away loved ones, it would be it's like a, tough, a rough yeah. go and stuff like it's that. It's tough but... being the person to ask those questions sometimes because you don't know. But she just, she, as you can even, you could just hear, she's very open. You know, I mean, she she's just, I thought she was fantastic. And I think the book is really, really well written. And from our answers, it seemed like like this whole situation gave her some kind of closure, which is mm-hmm. more than a lot of other families sure. who lost people on this mountain would have. So at least she had a chance to kind of experience this the way that like her dad and brother did, which is which is awesome for her because right. she can move on. And she has that like, you know, she has that connection, like this even deeper connection to them, which, you know, is something a lot of people aren't going to have, especially, you know, people... Because a lot of these people's loved ones would never even dream of going anywhere near the K2. So I think that was really cool. Yeah, man. I think that was a very awesome accomplishment. And uh, when does the book come out? The book comes out on November 27th. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be found on Kindle, Nook, iBooks, hardcover, and paperback. That's so awesome. And thank you so much to both Sequoia and Brian for making this happen. That was That was really cool. Absolutely. So check it out. Journey of Heart out November 27th. There we go. Tom, you know, didn't you yourself recently have, you know, a kind of outdoorsy experience of your own that you'd like to talk about? Wait, what was it? I did? <laughs> well, when you watched, you know, when, when you watched Wild by yourself the other <laughs> night. Okay, that was about as outdoorsy as I plan on getting, to be honest with you, because I'm telling you, man, it was a week from hell. So I had a chance to sit down and see the movie Wild. I felt like I was actually there. Like, I would be that chick who, like, walked the... Cheryl Strayed, yes. I, is that her name? That's in... Yes. In real life? In or real, is that her well, actor name? Well, no. The actor was Reese Witherspoon, but it was based on the life of Cheryl Strayed. Tell me about your experience with Wild. I'm not going to give away to Andy. Right. I'm, I'm going to just say there are a few things that annoyed me. I don't think that it really makes that much a difference in plot or it's not giving away like what sure. happened in a movie okay but number one absolutely i can understand you need to carry a bunch of crap with you if you're going to take a very very long walk and if i may just describe for the listeners tom is getting extremely animated right now if you can't hear it in my voice 
But like there's there's hand you. movements going on. Like he's getting very well. It's, Rammy. It's, you know what it is? It's it it goes back to the whole thing of like Bruce Springsteen, where like Bruce Springsteen just will go and like talk about like some fishing town or some mining town or some like dock some town. dock working <laughs> like whatever, man. All right. And it's kind of like it's not true, dude. Okay. It's like you're so full of shit. So I cannot saying, respect you. So are you saying that the movie was not true? I'm not saying that the movie wasn't true because I I do know that it was based on a true story. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, is that in a way it's kind of irresponsible because it gives you the idea that anybody can just get the biggest backpack, throw a ton of shit in it. Like what kind of shit? ridiculous stuff. Well, you don't see that for a little while. Okay. You see her, it starts off with her in a hotel room trying to get this backpack on, but she can't even stand up with it because there's so much stuff. Is it like one of those like big, tall, like rectangular ones that have like metal backing yeah. or whatever? Oh my God. It's ridiculous. It's no, ridiculous. You. So she's like, you know, she goes out on this thing and it's kind of like, you know, don't show people this stuff because you know some knucklehead is going to go and get some backpack at, like, Walmart this summer and decide, I'm going to go take a walk. You know what? I think I, like, I think people did do that. Like, I think the book first inspired people to do that. Like, get out and seek the open road alone. Like, But what they don't tell you is all the crazy shit that can happen out there. Like, seriously, she's walking with this thing that weighs too much. Mm-hmm. Her shoes are too small. They're fucking up her feet, like, with every step. So, she, as she's going along, she is realizing, like, man, like, my stuff is, like, really heavy. And other people are cruising by me. Other people, like, are just, like, sprinting ahead. She's doing, like, I don't know, between 9 and 11 miles a day. And there's another oh guy God. who's doing, like, 18 miles a day or 20 miles a day. And it's kind of like... Yeah, because you're carrying all this shit. So you see her at, like, this, like, first rest post. And she's there, and she's, like, unpacking, like, all of this stuff. And it's, like, this old-timer dude looking at her, like, what are you carrying all that stuff for? Books. Books? Books. Like, more than one book? Oh, like, a whole bunch of books. And the old dude was, like, you hope you're burning these as you go. And she's, like, oh, no, I couldn't burn my books. I wouldn't be able to burn my books. But then again, I wouldn't bring 50 goddamn books with me either. No, you bring a Kindle and a solar charger for Christ's sake. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about nothing. It's like, okay, well, now I got my backpack to the size of like, you know, an over-the-shoulder bag. <laughs> me and my anti shay are ready to take it to the hills basically right now. You know what? I feel like I would be like that. Like I would, I'm such a horrible overpacker. Oh, no. This it gets crazier. Then she packs like a whole big box. Like like it's like the big box of condoms. Condoms? Condoms. Who are you banging on like the Pacific Coast the Pacific Coast Trail? Maybe like a bear man? If there was a bear man around. I'm telling you. The this condoms girl, weren't big enough. <laughs> this chick hasn't like showered or shaved in weeks. Bear man should go run. <laughs> that goes Maybe he saying. would confuse her for a bear woman. <laughs> it could be. She might be hairy <laughs> enough by that time. No joke. But it's just so weird that, like, you know, this is based on a true story. So somebody actually bought this. This woman actually bought like this freaking huge box of condoms and books with her. It sounds more like she was just trying to get a romantic getaway in. 
with like a how many day trek up? Oh my god, this? it was weeks. Weeks? Weeks. Who has time? Like what? Well, it was weird because who at has one time point, to do something like that? There was a newspaper, and I forget what the name. It was like the Hobo News or something the ridiculous. Hobo news. Something that I really hope exists in real life because I feel like they would have like a section in the back that would have like hobo fights in it, and I'd be like, "Why well, oh be getting down for that?" Like hobo with a shotgun with Rutger Hauer. Oh yeah, or just hobo routes like, "Hey, the weather's really great in Florida this time of year. Jump on the freight train and head on down." Do you think there are people that do that? Because I bet you there's like some kind of movement of people. There's a magazine for everything. There, there really is a. Ma- I am sure there's like some, and I mean, you know, this guy presented himself as like the hobo magazine writer or whatever it was, and uh, he like was convinced she was homeless because of the way she looked. So she's like walking down the highway, and she's like, "Hey, can you give me a ride?" And it's like. You're not really hiking. I see it getting like three different cars during the movie. <laughs> and it's kind of like, what is this soul searching thing? And like the first time she did it was like very early on in the movie. And it's just like this old guy out in the farm. And she approaches him. And uh, she she's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck out here. I got no food or anything like that. And uh, I was wondering if you can give me a ride. Why didn't she just go home? I don't, well, she was going through, like, some divorce or some bullshit. Yeah, and, like, I, I remember reading about that, and, like, I think, like, her mom died around the same time and stuff, so, I mean, like, she right. was all sorts of fucked up, but, like... True. Still, go yeah. home, then. Yeah, if you're gonna have to ask strangers for, like, food and shelter and rides, you're not really hiking. At that point in time, you're just slumming around. But she goes, <laughs> and she gets this ride from the sky, and right off the bat, like, you look at these people... And you're like going, she's going to get raped. I can't believe. And believe me, Matt, it's the, I really, really think that like rape is the worst crime on the Absolutely. planet. Like I, I, I see murder as less of a crime than rape. Yeah, because at least like, you know. You're out of your mystery. Yeah, you're, misery. Misery, yeah. yeah. Mystery. You're, you're out of your mystery as well because <laughs> mystery is over at that point. But you're. <laughs> but you're out of your misery if you're dead sure. because, I mean, you know, you ain't going to worry about it. But I feel like rape victims, they have to go through a lot. Yeah, they live with that for the rest of their life. Right. And, I mean, here she goes. She's putting herself in a situation where she's, like, constantly asking these and guys. And she doesn't seem like she has, like, a lot of, like, trail smarts, I guess. No, like I said, you could tell just from the way she packed, like, this was not her forte. So maybe this shouldn't be what she was doing. She should have just said, you know, I'm going to like... Hole up in this hotel for weeks at a time. That would have been probably a lot better. Do a little crack. Right? Maybe. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I don't if know. You, Pretend you, want... you were in the mountains. I don't right. know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe get some peyote. I don't know. <laughs> I got a cool rush going. <laughs> but like she didn't. She uh, she did this thing and you could tell, like I said, from our packing that she wasn't experienced. Then she kept going up to like just random guys and asking them for like rides or food or whatever else. And I'm not saying the whole movie she was doing this, but on like a couple of different occasions. And there was an occasion where she almost did get raped by these two hunters in the middle of the woods. Oh, and it's God. kind of like... Who do you even call at that point in time? Right, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and I get, like, as you're going, there are different checkpoints where you, like, sign in, and you're, like, going, okay, so I'm going to go to spot number one, and I'm signing in here on this date at this time, and then when I get to checkpoint number two, I'm going to sign in there. So if you get lost between the two checkpoints, people will know. They know kind of what area to start looking for your body. But, I mean, the checkpoints are so far from each other. Like, how far? 
mile, like like miles and miles, like you know, like a normal hiker would be able to make in a day, like ten or twenty miles. Like I want to say, I want to say like twenty miles. So like maybe like overnight. So you would like go and then like you'd sleep and then like you wake up the next day and and I'm sure every oh, checkpoint awful. Like I'm exhausted just thinking about this. Well, we're not camping people. No, we're not. I went camping no. once and I was told that there were showers where we were. So I took a hair dryer. I took like my bath and body works gel cuz I was in <laughs> high school and that was really big. And like I ended up like having to pee in the bushes because the bathroom ended up being so far away that I was like I'm not walking there in the dark to go pee. So I peed in the bushes. Way to go. I hated it. I oh, absolutely well, that's hated it. Camping, man. Gets oh, camping's all awful. about. I know so many people that go camping like for pleasure and it's like, what is wrong with you? Mm-mm. No way, man. I can get hiking. Like, like, I mean, I wouldn't obviously, as you've learned earlier in the show, that I would definitely not climb up the mountain or like some trail that had a hill in it, but like flatlands, <laughs> man, I but I'm see, good on flatland. But I feel like that's the thing. I, they didn't. I mean, they showed like a mountainous area, but they mm-hmm. made very, very clear that you can go around that area. <laughs> so it was weird because it's a feat, man, to be able to walk for like weeks at a clip or months mm-hmm. or whatever the hell it was sure. to go like up the whole West Coast. I mean, that it's definitely an accomplishment. But let's put it in perspective. She went on a walk. Forrest Gump ran all the way across the country. Like by now, like that movie is just done. Like no one gives a shit about Forrest Gump anymore. Well, you just brought him up, so obviously you do. Well, I'm just just giving it a person to you know like say hey. I know, but you mentioned Springsteen, who you hate, and you also hate Tom Hanks. So I feel like you have to summon one if you summon the other. Like I think that's the way that like your they come in pairs. Yeah, like your hatred comes in pairs. Yeah, well, well, whatever. It's what it is. (laughs) But it's just weird to me that, like, this girl, like, I don't know, man. She wrote a whole book on walking. And maybe the hobo guy was right in a way. Because for the time that she wasn't working, she was just roaming around with everything she owned in a backpack. She was a hobo for all intents and purposes. She, hobo living. She basically wrote a book about being a hobo and not so much hiking. Which is weird because so many people, like, renowned this as... I'm aspired to do this now. Mm-hmm. It's like you're aspired to be homeless because this chick wrote a book about it. Like, <laughs> well, you, ah. I don't know, Tom, because after you watched this movie, you were like, "I'm gonna climb. I'm gonna hike the Pacific Coast Trail. I can do it. I'm gonna do it." You know what, though? I can't. I, after watching it, it it didn't do like you were saying with other people. It didn't like say, "Hey, you know what? Like, it inspires me." The mm-hmm. beauty and the majesty of it to go on a hike and see this trail in all of its glory. After I was done watching this movie, I was like, "You just wanted to prove you were better." I than can her. fucking do this, and I'm like, <laughs> "It ain't gonna take me months. I'll be done with it faster than that." I'm like, "Oh my god, eleven miles in a day. We we're cranking out over twenty miles a day here in the city." We were, yeah. There was a point where we were like, we were walking like miles and miles. I mean, like just on a normal day, miles would be like a normal, yeah. like a, a, on a day that we wouldn't be doing stuff. It would be ten miles out of clip. Yeah. On a, just I don't leave work, and from the time you get to work, from the time yes, you get home, Tom. you're looking at ten miles. Yes, okay, settle. And then you look at it, this woman, and you're like, going, "Oh, congratulations for you! You walked in the woods." <laughs> like, All right. right. Okay. Okay. Okay, I feel like there's down. so many more obstacles here. Like, I'd love to be on an open trail. If somebody said, hey, listen, we're going to open up the sidewalks and no one's going to be on them. 
I could do more than 20 miles in a day. Absolutely. We've walked, like, I think the most we've walked was 30. So throw on a backpack and let's go, man. We'll hit, like, 18 miles a day and it finishes goddamn tour half the time it took her to do it. See, now, I would go Sequoia's route because they had porters who helped carry shit up the mountain. So if I have somebody like that to wear my backpack for me, maybe I could do the hills. I don't know, man, because I feel like that hill, like, just getting there would scare the shit out of me. Like, look, here in America, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not afraid of the terror threat. I know that there's one, but there's nothing you can do about it. Sure. Like, you just got to say, fuck it. I'm going to live my I'm life the way I'm going to live my life. Whatever happens, happens. Sure. But I'm not going to go to Pakistan for any reason <laughs> and, and be like, fate. well, I'm going to live my life over here now for a little <laughs> bit. Let's see what happens Let's here. Let's see what happens. <laughs> no, see, that, and that's where I would get tripped up. Okay. So, but just going to California, it's a whole different thing. All right. Well, while I'm in Tahiti, I'll be on the couch. Did you know? All right. So this week's did you know? Did you? It has all to do with the K two. The K two. The K two. Did you know that K2 is the second deadliest mountain on the planet? And it is said that one out of every four people will die who reach the summit. One out of every four people? Yeah, that's insane. Just knowing those odds. Now, let's say this. You had the interview with this woman. Mm -hmm, Sequoia Schmidt. Yep. Before we had actually gotten to these facts. I mean... We've read her book and we got all the information from that. It wasn't like we didn't do our research, but my God, man, one out of every four people. See, that's like not too shocking to me because I mean, like, just look at, just look at them. Like, look at it. One out of every four, though, it's an insane, insane number. Like, you have to know if you're going up to this mountain. You might not. There's a very good chance you might not come back down, yeah. There's a fantastic chance, especially if you're going with three guides. Because they've been up the mountain before. Guess who the number four is? There ain't no way in hell, man. Guess who the noob is? It's you. Uh, The only mountain that's deadlier than the K2 is the Annapurina. And it is just shy of one out of every three people die upon reaching its summit. That's so three. crazy. So three people go up, two people come down. That's I don't know I don't know what the draw is to this thing. I understand the beauty of it. To prove that you can do it. Like to just be the be one of the three that make it to the top and live. See, I feel like this is city mentality kicking in my head right now. <laughs> but in my head it tells me I don't have to do it if I say I know I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's just enough. In my head, I can make that conquest, and I don't really need to go out and prove it to anybody because I don't want to be one of the three, but I know if I went up with three people, I'd be one of the ones coming down. I don't need to prove nothing to nobody. You would be a survivor because you are ruthless. Got you fooled. You are ruthless. Not when it's cold out. I want mittens. (laughs) I want a snorkel jacket with fur around the edges. But, but, you might perish because you can't wear a hat. Well, they don't make them my size. So is it my fault? Is it the haberdashery's well, fault? Well, you need a hat and because 40% of your body heat escapes from your head. So you got 40% more chance to someone who might have a smaller head. 
But here's the deal. I got a 100% chance of survival if I sit here on my couch without a hat on. So I think I'm going to just do that. Thank you very much. Another fact is, although you can access the summit from both the Pakistani and Chinese borders, Mm -hmm. the China side of the mountain is far more difficult to climb. Like how so? It's like just, just more access? treacherous. Like the, the the route up to the summit is just far more treacherous from the Chinese side. So you know it's going to be a difficult trip when your starting point is less dangerous, <laughs> but you have to go and start into Pakistan. Yeah. So that just gives you an idea of how fucking insane the whole idea of climbing the K2 is in the first place. Because <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, it's a lot of dedication to get there. (laughs) A lot of dedication and a lot of unsafe things. The final thing is, K2 is known as the Savage Mountain around the world. That's what it's known as to climbers. They, they, They dub this the Savage Mountain. And it has never been climbed in the winter. I feel like it's always winter. Like when you look at it, it's right. always got ice on it. We're not snow on it. How do you know when it's winter season and when it's not winter season? Like, I don't know. When we were going over the photos that Sequoia sent us that she had taken, like, while she was out writing her book, like, it had snow on it. And mm-hmm. I know that she had mentioned stuff like, you told me a story, I think it was, about um, how the guides told her there was this guy who would always come to the mountain. Mm-hmm. And every time he went to the mountain... He never got to see it. Right, because she wouldn't, she, because they, they refer to the mountain as a she. Mm-hmm. And he came several times and, you know, stood at the base and was just, he never got to see her peak because she was just like, screw you, I'm not showing it to you. And it's so weird because Sequoia's pictures, which you'll see online, like we'll, we'll have them yep. up on the website and stuff. They're so crystal clear that it's kind of like, how could you not see the top of that mountain? Like it is always like it, you could just see it i feel like every picture i ever seen of it was not cloud covered but sure. it was always snow and ice covered of course yeah so it's like when is it winter i don't know i honestly didn't like because i picture just this desert country where it's just really really cold all the time or really really hot all the time yeah man it's like nuts. i don't know but there was, like, you know, Sequoia does mention in the book that when they finally get to, like, the base camp where you're able to see, you know, the real, like, K2 from, like, you know, like, such a vantage point, it was, like, a very cloudy, foggy day. And she was so mad because she's like, you're, I came all this way, like, I am standing here and you're not even going to show yourself to me. Like, it was kind of funny how, you know, just how kind of pissed she got. <laughs> but then, you know, she writes to, to say that, like, she got to see it by the moonlight first. So it was really like, and you could almost picture how beautiful, like, just that would be. Yeah, her so, pictures were amazing. Yeah, her pictures were really, really good. Well, that's this week's segment of Did You Know? Did you know? And so with the end of that segment, thus too comes the end of our show for this week. Ding dong. Check us out at highregardshow.com. And if you feel like writing us, send us an email at highregardshow at gmail.com. And find us on all social media at highregardshow. And keep listening and letting your friends know that we're available on both iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you so much, everybody, for another great week and having us back. This our eighth time. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Bye.